Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodaychicago.com. Let's get into it. Now that you're all sitting, everybody can stand up, please. (laughs) For the reading of the word. (laughs) If I offended you, sorry. There may be more to come. Uh, So this is Mark 29. Well, I didn't put 28 up there, but I'm going to start at 28 and then... um, We can read all together from 29. I know we normally don't do that, but we'll read together. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Together. Jesus answered him, the first of the commandments is love. Is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like this, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all your heart, with all the understanding, with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw that, he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that, no one dared question him. This is the word of the Lord. You can all be seated. So I think this is going to be our last sermon. We've been in Mark all summer long, and uh, we're going to pick back up with the Passion account during Lent, I believe. So this is kind of our end cap of Mark. Mark has been an adventure. It's basically a template for most of the other Gospels, and um, it's the shortest Gospel, I believe, and it is an action movie. Things are happening quickly. Um, Bodies flying all over the place. Jesus healing people. Food being multiplied. And lots of confrontations with scribes and Pharisees. And this is a confrontation with the scribes who are ones who believe firmly in the law and they believe firmly in um, the way the Torah accounts the way we should live before the Lord. And their job in the Gospels, or so it seems the way Mark portrays it, is to keep Jesus in check with questions. Anybody ever ask you a question? You're like, what are you insinuating by that question? But they're asking Jesus, what is the first commandment? Because they want to know what his political affiliation is. And instead of just asking them straight out what your political affiliation is, they base it upon something that's prescribed to be holy, which is the law. Therefore, his his answer will reveal everything. But Jesus, you know what I'm saying? He's, he's too smart for that. So he says, he takes two different 
um, commandments from the Ten Commandments, their law, and he puts them together in a way that hasn't been put together before. That yes, you're supposed to love the Lord your God with all your heart, heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, with everything you have, and you're also supposed to love your neighbor as yourself. Um, And I think that it really shows us the way that we have a tendency to treat God. I think we all have a God that pretty much looks like us because wouldn't the world be better if, you know, God looked like us? You know what I mean? He was tall and dark and handsome, you know what I'm saying? And you would say, the world is bad. That world would suck, though. If I lived in a world where everybody was like me, I'm so glad that he's given us so many diverse voices and diverse faces and diverse gifts that we can all come together and create this body. But that's the thing about living with people together in close proximity where they're neighbors or whatever they may be. It's messy. It's messy because we all don't think alike. We all don't believe alike. We all don't, um, we all don't you know what I'm saying, say tomato the same way. We all don't like binge watch the same movies and all that stuff. Um, so we are so many times defined by what we don't agree on, our division. So sometimes you hear the good buzzword for um, the time, and it's like reconciliation. And people are like, what are we reconciling to? Truthfully, black people and white people in this country have never been friends. So what are we reconciling to? And my framework for that is a biblical context, which is, I don't have it up here, but it's in Genesis 11 and 6. And um, it is the Tower of Babel. And they're trying to build a tower to the sky. And God says, I have to go down. He's talking to somebody. He says, I have to go down and confuse their languages or else nothing will be withheld from them. That means if they are together, loving each other in community, I can't help but give them whatever they ask for. So I have to confuse their languages. And as such, we have been dividing ever since. Along political affiliations, along race, which is really easy to do, along what neighborhood you live in. And even in Chicago, what micro-neighborhood you live in, what school your kids go to. What we have all these different designations and ways that we split up, and we don't, can't even see how we're very similar anymore. We can't see how we're united. And Jesus lived in very much a time that was like this, very divided. And he wanted to show them the way we're supposed to relate to each other is as one. Because God is one. Therefore, we relate to God as one um, and not necessarily through division. Good way to remember that is a cross is vertical and horizontal, which means that we have a relationship with the Lord that is very spiritual, but it also needs to be walked out on this plane. If anyone ever wonders why, what's up with all these? You know, I met with a friend this week who's a supporter of a certain candidate, and he's like, um, he's like, why do you have all these social justice warriors and stuff? You know what? And I think it's a natural outcrop of love and of the gospel. So when Jesus is saying, love your God with all your heart, yeah, you get that you got that vertical, vertices, you got that going. And you got to love your neighbor as yourself. That means it has to be walked out in this world. Because anybody can live in a cave, and many people have done, and say, I'm so in love with you, God. Oh, yeah. Ooh. 
we're just hanging out. You know, it's like the couch potato Christian. You know, you're just like, I love you, and you're amazing, but you don't know exactly what that looks like until you have to go and tell your neighbor to turn down their music, and you've never talked to them before. Or you have to go and ask for something that you need, and you've never even had made eye contact with a neighbor. Or you have to be next to somebody for a long period of time who you know you intensely disagree with. We have so much in common, but we can't even see what we have in common anymore. Did anybody in here not wake up and go to the bathroom? That's one thing we have in common. So much more we do, but it's all like, you know, we're made unique, and God has made us unique despite our need to point out division to each other. God has become very bifurcated, which means he's been forked, he's been split into this God who is either very spiritual and really just cares about um, people getting saved, people um, being inside the church, having these thriving communities, or a God who really cares about the world and justice and the things that's going on. And I posit that that is the same God. Those same person, the God is as spiritual as he is practical. It's not one or the other. Like, he's like, okay, we're going to pray this time. All right, you don't have to pray anymore. You can pay your bills this week. All right, this next week, don't pay your bills, just pray. And I, that may sound like a joke, but there are people that I know that are like that, are super spiritual. Like, I don't have to worry about paying my bills because God is going to pay it. You know what I'm saying? Everything is awesome. He's, he's coming out. He's going to make a way. And then when it comes to, um, to very practical things like budgeting, it's not as much as a heart for things like that. In 2 Kings uh, 5, 11 through 14, I think this is up there. Um, this is the story of Naaman, who was a commander in the army of Syria. And he was a commander in the army of Syria, but he had leprosy. So he wore this armor. You couldn't really tell he had leprosy when he had this armor on. And um, a little slave girl who was serving in his home said, hey, don't you know there's a prophet in Israel who can pray for you, and you're going to be healed? And he's like, oh, okay, I don't know about that, uh, what you think, but... He takes this word from the slave girl and decides to go all the way to Israel to find Elisha for healing. So here he is, a commander of an army that subjugated Israel on the word of a slave girl, having to go to Israel to seek his healing. The kind of humility that is taken for this commander to seek his healing is amazing in this story. And that's part of the reason why I love it. Um, and so he, he finds Elisha, goes to his house, and Elisha doesn't even come out. He doesn't even come out to greet him. I mean, this is a guy that I'm sure he has a whole retinue. He has a whole, like, series of people who are rolling with him. And he doesn't, Elisha doesn't even come out to greet him. He sends his servant out. And his servant gives him instructions, go wash in the Jordan seven times, and you will be completely healed. And this is what Naaman happens right after he says that. But Naaman became furious and went away and said, Indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the place, and heal the leprosy. Are not the Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of the Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? 
Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more than when he says to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. I was expecting a very spiritual answer. I was expecting like some really, something that holy people like to really do, and like, and, Jesus, and God is like, go wash in the Jordan. And I think that we can't, it's hard to hold both of those. It's hard to hold a united God who cares deeply, deeply for the poor and, and still cares for our salvation. A God that deeply weeps over injustices, but yet and still, he's a good God and has a good plan for your life. Those are things that are, seem to be weighted too heavily for this world, so you have to be one or the other. And Jesus never chose. People would try to get him to choose between the spiritual God and the practical God. And he would say, no, he's actually both of those things. He's united. He's one. Um, he cares about the way that our salvation is walked out in the, in the theater of the world. That it's not just a personal salvation. It is that but it also is one that's walked out very practically, like with me and uh, our neighborhood and the 10 children that are on our block who all like to congregate on our small porch. And we already have five children. <laughs> I'm like, this week, you know, it's the end of the summer too. So it's like, it, we're, we're ready for Tuesday anyway. <laughs> So the kids are just like out there and they're playing, they're playing school because they really want to go to school too. On this little bitty porch, I come out the door, I'm like hitting kids with the door. I'm like, kids, please go down the block somewhere. <laughs> we already have a lot of children. And I know they probably think I'm just mean or something like that. But it really is the way that I treat them is the way I actually am. And I get frustrated sometimes. <laughs> our kids are inside, like, eating a meal, and the kids are still in front of our house playing, like, just wait for them to come out. <laughs> They're going to come out soon. But that is, like, a, a perfect picture of a God whose door is always open for us. In 1 John 2 and 10, it says, he who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. In um, James 1 and 17, it says that every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Woo! No shadow of turning. The light that shines from God is not a light to illuminate shadow. 
It's like the sun. The sun doesn't have any shadow in it. And it's just this beautiful natural light that gives life and brings things to light. But it stands in juxtaposition to man-made lights necessarily. Because all that a man-made light can do is illuminate who you appear to be. And God, his light, the light of Christ illuminates actually who you are. So when we, because I appear to be who I look like I am. And as long as I am engaging with people based on their appearance, based on their class, based on their societal position, I will not be engaging with, which, with who they truly are. And so the father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning is the creator who shows us the way that we illuminate each other. In 1 John 4 and 20, 21, it says, if someone says, I love God and hate his brother, he is a liar. Dang. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. You must love your brother also. But it's so much easier and so much more subjective to love a God in a way that is always hitting and no one ever has to check it out. That it's never seen, it never comes or goes over ground. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribe said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth. For there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart with all the understanding and with all the soul and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now when Jesus saw him, he answered wisely and said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, but after that no one dared to question him. Jesus is like, you almost got it. You're almost there. Why? Because he said heart, mind, soul, strength. How was a scribe understanding loving God? Here, with his mind. Yeah, I know, I can recite the right things that it means, but are you loving him with your strength, with your passion, and with everything that you are? Not just an intellectual understanding and grasp of love, because love is something that has to be felt. It has to be something that, that moves and breathes because it is Jesus and it is alive. Now, I tell people, love is not a feeling. Love is an action when you don't feel like it. Love is an action when everything in you is screaming to go the other way. When you go in a place and you're like, oh, this person hates me. I know they hate me. 
They're looking at them, they're giving me dirty looks. Oh, man, I know she's got it in for me, whatever. And you go to that person and attempt to forge a relationship with that person. That's a moment of what love looks like. It's easy to love somebody who you're related to. It's easy to love somebody who loves you back. But what about people when everything in you screams to go in a complete opposite direction? The more we listen to that, the more we move in that way, the more our society continues to look divided and look predictable and look homogenous and look very much not like the Lord's house. So love your neighbor as yourself. Because how will we ever know what we look like if it's not for love? It's a beautiful day in this neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Would you be mine? It's a neighborly day in this beauty wood, whatever that is. A neighborly day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? I have always wanted to have a neighbor just like you. I've always wanted to live in this neighborhood with you. So let's make the most of this beautiful day. Since we're together, we might as well say, would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Won't you be? <laughs> I promise, I feel like Mr. Rogers taught me optimism, you know what I'm saying? And he had like a lot of episodes that were really about tolerance, which is a horrible word, but it was really about like treating people with respect and treating people with love, no matter who they are. I think it's interesting that Jesus says, You should love your neighbor as yourself. If I ask you what that means, you'll go, oh, you know, the way I love myself, that's the way I should love my neighbor. I don't think that's what that's saying. Because it would say, you should love your neighbor like you love yourself. What does it mean to love your neighbor as yourself? That means to love your neighbor as a created child of God and not as a group. Because a group will tell you how you're supposed to love and how you're supposed to interact with someone else. I'm a Democrat. This is the way we interact with Republicans. You know, I live in Ravenswood Manor. This is the way we we relate to people who live in Ravenswood. I live in Horner Park. This is the way we, you know, relate to people who live close to Revere Park. That as yourself... You love your neighbor, and the kingdom breaks forth in you because justice is seen in a way that we can love each other. I thought of a definition of justice, and it's a public rendering of rightness. It is that being walked out in a public square where everyone can see. Cornel West says justice is love in public. That's what it is. You say that word and 
Christians start getting a little itchy, like, I don't know about justice. Let's just preach the gospel and gospel alone, which is good. It's a, good, it's a great sentiment. And um, Jesus, wherever he went, he was tearing down societal norms and ministering in a supernatural power of love. That was from the Father. Bless you. Constantly moving and doing that. And what happens is it wasn't bifurcated. It was just Jesus being Jesus. Throughout time, we start to divide Jesus. We're like, I don't really like that part of him. You know what I'm saying? After the, um, with the whole creation of secular culture was about people who the um, bar was too high to follow Jesus, give everything away and follow him. That's what I had to do to be able to engage with the arts and the sciences for so long because the main um, funder, the main patron of the arts and of sciences was the church. People like, the church is telling me to give everything away and follow him? I don't know about doing that. I'm just going to leave that and create a different culture that exists without that responsibility. But when you're in love, you'll leave everything you got including your time, you hang up. No, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> when your love is not a question of, you know, the things you have to give up, you think about all that you gain, and you think about all that you receive. So we cannot love God as a group. Of course we can. We can come together. We can worship we can praise, we can do all these things, and even loving our neighbor has to be something that we take on personally, or else we will think that it's been, that responsibility has been given to someone else in our group. You know, you, you know, man, like, my country is making sure they're giving to the poor, you know what I'm saying, welfare is happening, that's off my plate, I don't have to do that. I don't have to love people in that way because people are receiving from the government anyway, so they don't really need, need me to do that. I can kind of abdicate that responsibility. But love as yourself means that we have a responsibility to show people the love of God. And it's not shackles. It's not a law. It is the law of love, which is love always wins. Just as giving needs receiving, so also does loving God need community to be refined. You know, so many people who love to give but don't love to receive, I'm, I can be like that, really. Don't like to receive, which uh, I was glad I got a lesson in that on my birthday, how to receive. So does loving God need a community to be refined in? Because we live in a world that the more our resources go up, the more our comfort goes up. We can control who we see, when we see them. One of the greatest things you can do is, like, go to the burbs and, like, surprise somebody. <laughs> ah! Oh, no! <laughs> or they go someplace, you know what I'm saying, go to Costco and there's nowhere to park. Like, What? This is why I moved here, so I can plan all this stuff. And living in a city 
you don't know what you're going to see, especially if you ride the CTA. Like, <laughs> you don't know what you're going to see. You may see, you know, yeah, you're going to see some stuff on it riding the CTA. So just do that. You'll feel closer to the Lord, and you'll feel closer to your neighbors. Just ride the CTA. Um, but I know there was a time where I'm just continually like, I need to make the world look like me, and my purpose was to try to convert others. I used to try to convert others, but now I try to convert myself to understand others better, which is a whole different flipping of seeing from someone else's perspective and seeing that God loves each and every one of you in an individual way that can never be articulated by whatever groups we belong to or we're forced to belong to. Bam is more than just black. Bam is more than just a male. Bam is more than just a father, more than just a pastor. I'm a child of God in whom he has lavished his love on me. Lavished. So if any of these groups that I become a part of are disconnecting me from that lavish love, then I have to realize it may be tribalism. It may be me arraying myself and forfeiting the amazing gifts that God has given me. So what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to love God with everything we have. We're supposed to love our neighbors. And how do we love our neighbors? By always making more room in our hearts for people. That can be hard, you know what I'm saying? Like, especially if you're in an environment where people are constantly moving in and moving on, and we like to be comfortable with our group of friends, our clique, you know what I mean? Like, these are people, they know me. They know when to laugh at my jokes. They laugh anyway, even when I'm not funny, you know what I'm saying? That's a, that's a little advice for people who are single. Marry somebody who's going to laugh whether you're funny or not. That truly is a gift. <laughs> but keeping our hearts, our hearts open to people, to let them in, and not closing ourselves because of fear of hurt, fear of misunderstanding, newsflash is going to happen anyway. Heart open or heart closed, but I would rather do it with my heart and my hands wide open to love the way that God loved as myself with who I am, not who I appear to be, but who I truly am. And I'm glad that Jesus has shown us the way to do that, shown us a radical love and all these figures throughout Scripture who could show up fully who they were before Jesus. And he would pour out his love on them no matter what state they were in society. He wouldn't check in with where their bank account was. He wouldn't check in with, are they good stewards? You know, I can't give money to that homeless person because I don't know what they're going to do with it. Jesus didn't say, make sure they're going to be great stewards and then be generous. I was driving the other day, and a guy, uh, I gave a guy a dollar, 
And um, he said, man, you never believe this, man. In the car before you, a lady was driving, and she literally said, oh, my God, there is a homeless person. Roll up the windows and lock the doors while he was right by the car. And he's like, man, I've seen a lot of stuff. I ain't never seen nothing like that happen. And I'm like, man, I'm sorry about that. I hope you know that you are the most beautiful thing God has created. And she was probably from the birds. <laughs> Love makes you do crazy things like go towards people that you should be going the other way from. But you receive the greatest gifts when you go in the opposite direction of what society has tell, told you you have gone. Sadly, the older we get, the more resources we get, the more freedom we actually get to do what we want, the more firmly entrenched we are in comfort that won't let us do that anymore. But I say, this week, this month, this year, take a deviation from your normal routine to love somebody. Very often it is you're running late and somebody wants to have a long conversation. You're like, man, I'm running late. It's like this morning, this lady was like, oh, nice shoes. I'm like, hey, how's it going? Can I give you some art or something? She starts talking to me, starts telling me stories about the neighborhood that I live in, and she's like, oh, yeah, there used to be a sign on that corner that says, no Jews, no blacks, and no dogs. I'm like, what? I got to hear some more of these stories. Wow. This is awesome. But just take a moment, and you will know what that moment is. So because I'm saying this to you, it's going to happen. And you're going to be like hella late, you know what I mean? I got to go, and then somebody's going to be like, could you just help me with this real quick? Just a moment of your time, and know this is God like trying to invite you on an adventure. Be willing to make a left to love somebody because that's what it means to love your God with all of your heart, all of your passion, and all of your compassion, all of your mind, all of your intellect, all of your understanding, and all of your strength. And I promise he will show up and continue to draw you closer into his heart. You guys want to stand up? Worship team, you can come on up. Jesus was constantly violent with the tribalism um, that even he was a victim of. But ultimately, he was victorious because of his love. So I know that As we grow in relationships with people and as we go through life, hurt is going to happen. But courage is your ability to love again, to just keep loving again, to keep loving yourself again, 
to keep loving the thing that God has put in your heart, your dreams, and to keep loving the people around you. Look around. Look around. Look at all these beautiful neighbors you have. And it's not even in a land of make-believe. <laughs> that show was so amazing. <laughs> the love that we get to walk out with each other is a privilege. And I just want to tell you how privileged I feel and how blessed I feel to be a part of this community. Like, you guys have continued to embrace me and my family. Um, so many of our friends are here, and so many of people that we love more than anything on earth are here. And I just want to thank you for all that you do to make us feel welcome. And to think that there are some people who never get to experience that. There are people who are like, we pass every day who never get to experience how much that God loves them. So I encourage you to make a left turn. You know God is speaking when it's not routine. That's the, like the simplest way. You know he's speaking when he's like, hey, let's go over here and do this. In that voice, too. Hey, let's go do this. So you want to put your hand on your heart? Father, I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love um, and that you have fully equipped us to walk as great neighbors on this earth. I pray your blessing over everyone here and your anointing over everyone here that you would open the eyes of their heart so they would be able to see those loving opportunities, so they would see those moments, those fun tangents. They're not just a shiny thing because we're ADHD or whatever it is. They are moments to love somebody boldly, even in simple ways, God. And I pray that your love would continue to be incubated in a world that doesn't even know it exists sometimes, but shall rise into its true form as manifested in each one of us, Father. And I thank you for that in Jesus' name.